invariably there is a moment in any study. It came in our studies of Hebrews, of Thessalonians, and really showed up in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Oi! The pastor says, what are you going to do about chapter 7? Teach it? Sure. They knew. There comes a moment when one is almost sorry one has decided to tackle the study. The text is so challenging, so troublesome, so fraught with peril that all one can do, short of running screaming into the night, is gulp twice, pray really hard, take a deep breath and forge ahead. Well, this morning we forge ahead. We're now at that point in this study of the last things. The tribulation portion of the eschaton is without question the most troublesome, most controversial, most argued and debated portion. The tribulation occupies the lion's share of the book of Revelation. Out of 22 chapters in Revelation, 16 of those chapters deal with the events of or immediately surrounding the tribulation. While the 1,000-year millennium is covered in four verses. Any deep study of the tribulation produces much tribulation. Reiterating what I said in our first session, one of the more troublesome aspects of this is that highly respected, knowledgeable, wise, spirit-filled Christian scholars disagree with each other. especially regarding the portions of Scripture that pertain or, some insist, do not pertain to the eschatological environment. While many commentators and biblical scholars are in agreement with this church's position, it's not unique, it's not an outlier, Many commentators I have repeatedly used for other studies embrace a different position regarding the tribulation. Or, more often the case, disagree on some of the details. Add to this all the contemporary non-scholarly ideas based more on headlines than textual analysis. And one can soon regret opening such a can of worms. Yet there can also be tremendous joy of discovery in such an enterprise. My prayer is that you've already experienced some of that joy or will in due course. I do every week working on it. Before we begin examining what takes place during the tribulation, the events... 
We need to lay the groundwork for understanding it as a whole. We need to look at the forest before we examine each individual tree. In this session, we will begin our examination of Daniel's 70 weeks. In broader terms, then in our next two sessions, we will carefully step through the Daniel 9 prophecy with the accompanying chart as our guide. Be sure to bring this chart back with you for at least the next two weeks because we'll use it. Could we have it on screen, please? First, let's talk about Israel. As Oliver Green puts it in his book, Bible Prophecy, an old standard, 1970, the Great Tribulation has nothing to do with the church. The scriptures which describe the Great Tribulation speak of Israel or Jacob, depending on the passage and the translation, and the church is not once named. Which, of course, makes perfect sense since the church has just been removed from the earth. And Green cites several examples, one we're going to look at in detail. In Jeremiah 30, 6-7, the tribulation is called, quote, the time of Jacob's trouble, end quote, unquote, or Jacob's distress. In Ezekiel 22, and go ahead and turn to that, please. In Ezekiel 22, verses 18-22, to 22, we note that it is Israel, not the church, that will be cast into God's melting pot to be melted and refined in the fires of God's wrath. Ezekiel chapter 22. Let's begin with verse 17. And the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, the house of Israel has become dross to me. All of them are bronze and tin and iron and lead in the furnace. They are dross of silver. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, because you have all become dross, therefore, behold, I will gather into, I will gather you into the midst of Jerusalem as one gathers silver and bronze and iron and lead and tin into a furnace to blow the fire on it in order to melt it. So I will gather you in my anger and in my wrath and I will put you in and melt you. I will gather you and blow on you with the fire of my wrath, and you shall be melted in the midst of it as silver is melted in a furnace. So shall you be melted in the midst of it, and you shall know that I am the Lord. I have poured out my wrath upon you. That's pretty tough stuff. He's going to gather them all together and just pour out his wrath on them, and he likens it into removing the dross from fine metal. That's one of those where we have to say, now, wait a minute, that seems harsh to us. But we're talking about a holy God. He, he must do this. And He's been living with their rebellion for a long time. 
And he's finally going to deal with it during the tribulation. Indeed, we read in Zechariah, that powerful passage in Zechariah, I think it's chapter 14, where, you know, it, we're on the down, downhill slope. It's time for all things to be good. What's one of the last things he does? He lets Satan out of the abyss. Satan turns on Israel, kills, rapes, destroys. It's hard for us to understand that. Why? All we can do is say, He's God. He's just. But He's holy. In Malachi 3, 2-3, it is Israel who will go through the fire for purification. And again in Zechariah 13, 9, it is God's people Israel who will pass through the fire to be refined as silver and gold are refined. End quote. That's Oliver Green. Thus, immediately after the rapture, there will be no Christians, no church, only unbelieving Gentiles and Jews who have rejected Jesus as their long-awaited Messiah. Over the next seven years, that will change. While some will have their hatred for Christ deepen, others will turn to embrace Him. And many Jews will place their faith in Him as the true Messiah. A great number of them will be not just persecuted, but killed because of it. Now Daniel's 70 years, here we will consider it in general terms. Then in our next two sessions, we'll examine carefully from the text. From where do we get the idea of seven years or two halves of three and one half years for the span of the tribulation? For that, we need to begin with the prophecies given to Daniel. Turn please to Daniel 9. If memory serves, the next book in the Bible. Yes, by golly it is. Daniel 9. Now, while you're going there, who has that, by the way? Got it. Okay, we got it. Note that in addition to the Revelation chapters 5 to 20, principal sources for the tribulation include Daniel chapters 7 to 12, Christ's eschatological or Olivet Discourse found in Matthew 24 to 25, verse 46. Mark 13, 1 to 37. And Luke 21, 5 to 36. Most of what we believe to substantiate our position comes from harmonizing these and other passages from God's Word. Now, let's read Daniel 9, verses 24 to 27. 
Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and rebuild Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for sixty-two weeks it shall be built again with squares and a moat, with in, but in a troubled time. And after the sixty-two weeks an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its, an, its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed, and he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week, and for half a week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abominations shall come one who makes desolate, until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. Clear as mud, right? Well, if it wasn't, I wouldn't have anything to teach, right? This is the foundational passage for both Daniel's 70 weeks and Daniel's 70th week. 70 weeks, 70th week. In upcoming sessions, we'll be digging into the details of the events of which the angel Gabriel speaks. All of what, uh, what's your name? What's your name? What's your name? Oh, yeah, the guy with the weird hair. Yeah, okay. <laughs> um, all, that, all that Greg read was from Gabriel speaking to Daniel. For now, we want to just note the numbers. Follow along with the chart. Verse 24, 70 weeks have been decreed. Verse 25, from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. That is 69 weeks, if my math is correct. It will be built again with plaza and moat even in times of distress. Verse 26. Then after the 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing. Verse 27. And He will make a firm covenant with the many for one week, but in the middle of the week He will put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering. All of our common versions, except for the NIVs, translate this weeks. The NIVs supply the meaning behind it. Units of seven. That's what the word means. Units of seven. And this is to be understood, especially in evangelical dispensational circles, as 490 years. 70 times 7 equals 490. But how do we get from weeks or units of sevens to years? As well you might ask. Keep your finger here as we turn back to Leviticus 25. 
Leviticus chapter 25. Verse 8. You should count seven weeks of years, seven times seven years, so that the time of the seven weeks of years shall give you 49 years. Now, depending on your version, the key word is translated either Sabbaths or weeks. But the connection is clearly drawn here for using weeks to stand for seven years. So to wrap it back to verse 27 in Daniel's prophecy, where we see the events of the tribulation in shorthand, and he will make a firm covenant with the many for one week, that is seven years, speaking of the 70th week, for one week, seven years, but in the middle of the week, after the first three and a half years, he will put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering, etc., So what, that we will, what we learn later on, I'll give it away now. Some of you already know. That means that in the middle of the tribulation, Antichrist is going to go wacko. And he's going to, for the first three and a half years, he's just been nice as you please. I'm going to... I'm the new Messiah. I'm going to take care of everybody. He'll be a worldwide leader. He'll be, he'll be winsome. He'll convince everybody. What a guy. In the middle of the tribulation, he will sit enthroned in the Jerusalem temple, calling himself God, and it goes downhill from there. And everyone will know, now that it's too late, everyone will know that he's not a good guy. Once again, ours is a dispensational position. Some see Daniel's 70 weeks prophecy being fulfilled in its entirety by historical events that culminated in the events of A.D. 70 when Rome destroyed the city and the temple utterly. Some assign the activity of the horn, called the horn, the beast, Antichrist, to a Roman Catholic papal power. It's all all been done by the Catholic Church. Many biblical scholars see this prophecy fulfilled in the brutal subjugation of Jerusalem by the Syrian king Antiochus IV, who came to power around 170 B.C. He's commonly referred to as Antiochus Epiphanes. It's a name he gave himself. Epiphanes, which means God manifest. He claimed to be Zeus incarnate. Let me read from an article from the Venerable Biblical Archaeology Society. Antiochus arrived in Jerusalem to find the people in an open state of revolt against him and each other. 
The chaos he found in Judea immediately followed a humiliating defeat in Egypt. That is, he came to Jerusalem from Egypt and his, his army had suffered a terrible defeat, a humiliating defeat in Egypt. So after that, he came directly to Jerusalem and, continuing the quotation, and the ruler took out his frustrations on the Jewish people. Antiochus took control of the situation by slaying many innocents and brutally enforcing his cultural and religious policies on the population. A time of great tribulation occurred. As traditional practices such as circumcision were outlawed, sacred scriptures were burned, and violators were brutally punished even unto death. Having already laid siege to the Temple Mount and destroying many of its fortifications, Antiochus built a new fortress known as the Acra, literally the citadel, which is what Rome took over when they took the city, to consolidate his power over Jerusalem and strengthen his political agents. As a culmination, he proceeded to profane the temple of Yahweh by erecting idols within it, and even going so far as to sacrifice pigs upon the altar, presumably to to Zeus. That's the Biblical Archaeology Society. Antiochus does indeed fulfill much of the description and prophecies regarding Antichrist. Dispensationalists would say that he was an historical type of Antichrist, not the ultimate fulfillment of the prophecy, but a now-not-yet foreshadowing of Antichrist, just as, for example, Melchizedek is a type, a historical type, of Christ Jesus. We make the mistake of trying to apply the tribulation, the tribulation, to every bad thing that happens in this world. How many times has Hitler been called the Antichrist? Most people forget that compared to Hitler or Compared to, uh, oh, who, who was Uncle Joe in World War II? Stalin, thank you. Compared to Stalin, Hitler was nothing. That was, I mean, Stalin liquidated millions and millions of his own people. But nothing happens that has happened so far in this world no characters seen so far no events no nastiness no plagues and wars fit what will happen during that those 7 years to Israel and the whole earth There are two more ways in which the duration of the tribulation, or portions thereof, are described. Back to Daniel, chapter 7 this time. 
I was here just a minute ago. Daniel 7, verse 25. And he will speak out against the Most High and wear down the saints of the Highest One. And he will intend to make alterations in times and in law. And they will be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. That's the last one. The he in verse 25 is the beast, Antichrist. The time, times, and half a time, which I've graciously included on your chart, uh, means one year plus two years plus a half a year, three and a half years, represents the last half of the seven-year tribulation, that is, the great Tribulation. And I believe it was in last week I said perspective is all. If we're talking about the tribulation, the seven year tribulation, in contrast to now, that will indeed be the great tribulation, the whole thing. But in the context of those seven years, the last three and a half years are certainly the great tribulation compared to the first three and a half years. Halves of the seven-year tribulation are also described as 1,260 days in Revelation 11.13 and 12.6 and 42 months in Revelation 11.2. Let me press pause here. Any comments, any questions before I move on? Earlier you mentioned that some think that the end times events or the tribulation has come in in the Holocaust and and you mentioned that some have called uh, Hitler the Antichrist. However, would you agree that Hitler is an Antichrist? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. In Jesus' time in the, in the first century, there were Antichrists present. Present, yes. There, there is a... Let's see if I can get this right. It isn't in my notes. Could get into trouble. Don't do it. Ah, do it anyway. When you, when you examine this, there's a, there's a mirroring going on, M-I-R-R-O-R-I-N-G, mirroring going on in the end times, in the, in the uh, tribulation period. A mirror of the Holy Trinity, Father, God, Father, See, I screwed it up already. (laughs) Yes, I know what the Trinity is. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Father, Satan. Son, Antichrist. The Antichrist. Prophet, the false prophet. Holy Spirit. 
They mirror. They are a perverted trinity mirroring the Holy Trinity in heaven. So yes, throughout time there have been antichrists. This is the antichrist. Now as the accompanying chart shows, Daniel's 70 weeks begins in 457 B.C. So those who are better than me at math might have already deduced that we have a bit of a problem here. If Daniel's 70th week is yet future, well, that would obviously be more than just a tad beyond 490 years from 457 B.C. That's why I have my wife. The dispensational position on this is that the church, and hence the dispensation of grace, the church age, a period of indeterminate length, was not revealed to Daniel. There's a helpful, one of the resources I've used, don't agree with everything on it, but that, you know, Pastor Jeremy has listened to, John MacArthur, yet he disagrees on points. I don't think I've read one commentator yet that I agree with wholeheartedly. Just We all have different positions. And this one has a, a helpful chart, a way to realize this. I, I don't think I'm going to chart it, but it's, it's, it shows the perspectives. That it was done by Larkin in 1919. And it shows the perspectives of the various prophets Daniel, Jeremiah, etc. And it shows, I'm doing it backwards so that you can see it frontwards. Uh, it shows the prophet over here and a, and a line drawn. And there's mountains. And so each prophet sees certain things. They are revealed to him by God, by Gabriel or whomever. But on the other side of those mountains are, are events that they can't see. And one of those is the church age. They just don't speak of it they, as if it never would exist. But it does exist. It was not revealed to them. And that's what's happening with the church age. This creates a, a gap or indeterminate interlude between week 69 and week 70 of Daniel's 70 weeks. The math works when that gap line between Christ's baptism and the tribulation is removed. Now, <laughs> you have every right to say, but whoa, wait a minute, that sounds all too convenient to me. We can throw a gap in anywhere, right? And make the math work. Eyebrows may indeed be raised over the formidable gap or interlude in the 70 weeks that so far has lasted better than 2,000 years and who knows how much longer. It may appear all too convenient. J.C.J. Waite in the New Bible Dictionary points out that, quote, such prophetic, prophetic gaps are not uncommon in the Old Testament. End quote. Then he cites the example of Isaiah 61.2. You don't need to turn to it. Part of the passage Jesus read in the... Nat oh, you may if you wish to. Uh, 
Part of the passage Jesus read in the Nazareth synagogue when he presented himself as the fulfillment of that prophecy. We can all remember this from our study of Luke. I mean, Pastor went back there about 29 times, I'd say. We read it again and again. We should have it memorized by now. Here's what Jesus read as recorded in Luke 4, 18-19. Quote, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. In the synagogue, however, Jesus did not read the next line. He stopped before he got to the next line in the original Isaiah passage, for whatever reason. Verse 2 in Isaiah 61 reads, "...to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn." Jesus said that He was there to fulfill, quote, the year of the Lord's favor, end quote, which included His vengeance. Yet Jesus, in His time on earth, did not implement that vengeance during His, his time, during His ministry, during His lifetime. He was seen as love. He was. Grace. Forgiveness, giving of himself totally for the sins of others. That was what he was there to do. He did not implement that vengeance during his first time on earth, but most certainly will in his second, which will occur at last count, at least 2,000 years after he declared that prophecy fulfilled in him. So there's a gap. Now, how literal is the timeline? Did I skip something? Nope. How literal is this timeline? Much ink has been spilled and many trees have gone to their doom over the last 2,000 years to rationalize the math of the various eschatological positions. If you're not familiar with them, you wouldn't believe the tangled cobwebs, rat's nests of logic to explain one position or the other. Generally speaking, the dispensational position is to interpret God's Word literally. If it says seven years, that's what He means. Seven years. If it says that Christ will reign on earth and Satan will be chained in the abyss for 1,000 years, then we take it to mean what it says. 1,000 years. Critics raise their voices, especially when years switch to months or days, for it's true 
that calendars change. That's where you can really start chasing your tail. It's when they change to days or, or months. And you say, well, now, wait a minute. That math doesn't work. It doesn't, it's not precise. Calendars change. In ancient times, a year was not always and not everywhere 365 days. Sometimes a year was 12 30-day months. At times, five days were tacked on at the end to balance it out. At times, not. Not important. Sort of like somebody I used to work with who, ba- who never balanced her checkbooks. Oh, that's just pennies. It doesn't matter. Maybe some people don't hear don't balance their checkbook. I married someone who balances it down to the penny. Uh, leap years. Nope. So the calendars were all over the place. Days were all over the place. Some people used a lunar calendar. Some people used a solar calendar. One comment, well, not one, but there's a position that says that this is explained, the the. 70 weeks starting at one point and working it all out is explained because Israel used a lunar year. Well, they didn't. If you use a lunar year, you start missing days. Year after year after year, you start missing days until it doesn't take really long at all before your seasons are flipped. It's like going from Iowa to Australia. And things are backwards. Yet, throughout God's Word, the seasons are consistent. They did not use a lunar year. They used a solar year. My personal position is this. While I interpret the lengths to be literal, I also know that it's too easy to pinpoint an event on a chart, an event that might take quite a while to run its course from beginning to end, We can quite accurately pinpoint, but of course not date, the rapture. Because Paul tells us it happens like that. So that one point on the chart. Just so, it's easy to draw an arrow to a point in the timeline to mark the occurrence of the great white throne. But no one on earth can say how long that judgment process will take. Christ is judging all the evil throughout the whole world and all time. I don't know how long that's going to take, but on my chart it comes to one point. Will time itself grind to a halt during that event or will it keep moving? Don't know. So, speaking personally, my devotion to God's inerrant word is not going to be compromised if some of these sharp edges are rounded off or if one period spills over into the next. Or a more probable circumstance, the various, the various event groupings that we so neatly arrange on our charts do not always immediately follow one another. That is, there may be an interlude scattered between, say, the rapture and the beginning of the tribulation. Could be. Or between the tribulation and the millennium. A lot happens at the end of the tribulation. A lot. Yet on our charts, we put end of tribulation, beginning of millennium. 
Now the dates. We'll dig into the whys and wherefores next week as far as the specific dates. But the data for the accompanying chart has not been copied from any one source but reflects my conclusions after consulting many sources. The commonly used events and dates cited for the beginning and midpoints of the 70 weeks are, in the opinion of many, in error. In preparation for this study of the last things, I've referenced primarily to older chart series, the most recent published in 1970 by evangelist Buell L. Liming, and the better of the two, the charts published by Clarence Larkin in 1919. They're famous. You do a search for Clarence Larkin on the internet and click on images and you'll see charts all over the place. He charted everything. I've consulted respective commentaries, not least Gleason L. Archer's on the book of Daniel. Archer was the highly respected professor of Old Testament and Semitic languages at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. He's pretty good. I've also referenced my own legwork from an earlier study on Ezra and Nehemiah in 2014. I had to go back to my notes because I made charts for that too. And said, ah, This guy's good. He must be right. Finally, because the process involved math, Linda was brought in to supervise and check the calculations. For in that regard, I cannot be trusted. After sifting through all the various schemes for Daniel's 70 weeks, the events and dates on this chart, I believe, tracked the best. And in our next two sessions, we will return to Daniel 9 and examine in detail that key passage. So be sure to bring this chart back with you. Now, any questions, comments, disputes, anger management issues? (laughs) You ain't seen nothing yet. As a matter of fact, I'd like, yeah, I see, I see, oh, two, I don't know, two questions? I don't know, that's, give me just a second here. Based on, not just on this session, but the sessions that come, unless you're really good at taking notes in class, I highly recommend obtaining my notes at the, at the website, dlample.com. Uh, because there's going to be a lot of numbers, a lot of dates. It's hard to keep them. It's hard for me to keep them straight, and I'm the one writing them down. Uh, so if you're serious about learning this, please get those notes just as a reference to to exp- you know. Well, wait a minute. I don't understand how he got this. Well, the notes will tell you. Great. Maybe you just answered the question with Probably. your future 
uh, classes, but I, I'm assuming maybe you'll do something to harmonize uh, the 42 weeks or the 1,280 or 60 days uh, mentioned in, in other places in Scripture as, as it relates to the, the weeks or half a week's times, times. One of the constant, one of the constants of preparing this is that I'm always trying to balance time and information and the patience of those in the seats. There, I'm already spreading it out. This was supposed to be one session. It's three. Tribulation was supposed to be two sessions for each three and a half weeks. No way. So I'm always trying to balance, okay, what, what will they put up with? How much information is going far, too far? Uh, and it, that's an example. Uh, I may, I may not. It just depends on how far down in the weeds I have to get to explain it. Are we going to take 20 minutes to explain that? It's probably not worth it. Believe me. Paragraphs and paragraphs and chapters of numbers and calculations. It's my job to go through all that to save you. I mean, if you had to do that, you wouldn't. Most sane people wouldn't want to go through that. Um, most people who have lives wouldn't want to do that. I don't have a life, so I can take the time to do it. Um, and I find it fascinating, but it really does get tedious. And that's one of those areas that gets into lunar month, lunar years and solar years and this and that. And this king did this. And oh, I may, I may not. I don't know. Can't answer the question. Dennis. Our Sunday night group is going through John, first, second, and third John. And he mentions, as you said, the Antichrist a lot in there and, and, uh, but there, it's a little different meaning. It's anybody that's a deceiver that doesn't believe that Jesus came in the flesh. Yeah. So I just, something we really need to be careful about because there's a lot of Antichrist out there right now, and it's not the main one. We know there's, the Bible talks about one that's coming when we're not around, when the church is gone, but we need to be careful right now. There's a lot of Antichrist out mm-hmm. there. Yes. And that even gets into the grammar of my notes. I, I, for a long time, when I started, I said, well, I'm not going to give any, any sort of respectability to the Antichrist and capitalize his name like I capitalize Christ Jesus. I capitalize Christ. I'm not going to capitalize Antichrist. But after a while, I realized, well, now, wait a minute. Then we get confused with the ones you spoke of, the Antichrist that have been throughout history. This is the Antichrist. So to separate him, I went back and started capitalizing it. Just to, just to show the distinction. Doesn't make him on a par with Christ. It just means he's a specific person, the Antichrist in the end times. Anything else? This is getting good now. This is, this is, where we, this is why we're here. We, this is the good stuff. But it does, it can get tedious. I'm trying to keep it untedious. Is that a word? I don't think that's a word. Untedious. 
I'm the teacher. I can invent words. Father God, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for this story, this true story, future history. It is as true as our yesterday. We thank You for it. We thank You for putting it in Your Word. Because as we study it, it changes our walk now. It changes how we see You. You are all-powerful God. God Almighty. Your Son is Jesus the Christ who will rule all nations. He will judge them fairly, righteously. And those who have rejected Him will go to hell. Will go into the flames of eternal fire. Because He is righteous. He is holy. So we thank You for sharing this with us and showing us everything that's going to happen. Because it, it informs us of who You are and who our Savior is. He's not a hippie. He's not a flower child. He's God. And there will come a day when He pours out His wrath on those who will not place their lives in His hands. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.